Hello, friends. Welcome to Read em and Weep. It me, your host, Sammy. You may or may not have noticed that I didn't put out an episode last week. I wish I had a really cool reason for not doing so. You know, I was off on some cool vacation or something, but sadly, not the case. It was just a long and dastardly week of work. But as always, I'm going to make it up to you guys with a bonus episode. Look out for that sometime soon. In the meantime, I have a cool episode for you today, and we're going to get right on into it with hand one. I'm playing 235 at the California Grand Casino, and I'm playing a bomb pot. Now, I'm sure 95% of you guys know what a bomb pot is at this point, but if you don't, just a reminder, it's when everybody puts in a predetermined amount of money pre-flop, and then everybody sees the flop, and then you play the pot as usual. Bomb pots are really fun because anybody can have anything. The pot gets pretty big to start, and it's very gambly and ruckusy, and and we like these things. So we're playing a bomb pot. 25 bucks per person. There's eight people in this pot. So 200 bucks. And we go to a flop of queen, jack, five, all spades. Now the very first guy leads out for a hundred. And this guy is a regular at the California grand. I know him very well. And he is pretty far down the knit spectrum. I wouldn't call him like full blown OMC, but you know, he's pretty nitty. He's not the kind of guy who commits chips without good hands. He's capable of big folds is very cautious about putting his money in the pot. So when he bets a hundred bucks into this pot of 200 with the entire table left to act on queen, jack, five, all spades, certainly he's got a, a pretty good hand here. It folds to me and I peel my cards and buddy, <laughs> we could not see anything more beautiful than the ace, 10 of spades. Again, the flop is queen, jack, five of spades. We flop the hometown goodies, the stone cold nuts. This is fantastic. I think that this can go either way. Uh, You guys know that I'm a pretty big fan of fast playing my really good hands. But in this situation, I actually decide to just call. And the reason is, is because I'm in middle position. There's still like four or five players still left to act behind me. And I don't want to shut those players out. If they have a hand like a good top pair or you know, it's it's queen, jack, five, all spades. You know, if they have something like king, queen with the queen of spades or king, jack with the king of spades or king, 10 with the king of spades, king, nine with the king of spades, hands like this, I don't want to raise and shut them out of the pot. I want them to continue. You know, somebody might even make a really nitty fold with like bottom two pair or something if one guy bets out and one guy raises big and it's like, okay, stacks are at risk here. So I want players to continue. So I call for the hundred, but unfortunately, Nobody else calls, everybody else folds, and me and the near fold knit go heads up to the turn. And the turn is a great card. It's a complete blank. It's a red six. So queen, jack, five, all spades, and then a red six on the turn. We have ace, ten of spades. And now our friend pretty quickly bets 200 into the pot of 400. So after this bet, Our villain has about 1,400 behind. So he started the hand with a little more than 1,700. I cover him, having a pretty good session. And I think that when he bets here a second time, man, he's got a really good hand. I would expect him to have no worse than two pair at this point. So I've played a lot with this villain. I know him pretty well, and he knows me pretty well. Uh, He knows that I am capable of big bluffs. He's seen me bluff. He's seen me get caught bluffing. He has told me he thinks I'm a very creative player. Um, and then and then also, like I said, this, this guy is capable of making big folds. 
And in this session, he's also pretty stuck. Like I said, he started the hand with 17, 1800, but he has been stacked a couple of times. He's definitely down for the session. And I kind of think there's two different types of players. Uh, when they get stuck, some players get more gambly and more rabbly because they're, you know, kind of tilting. And then some players kind of tighten up and try not to lose more. And he's definitely in the second camp. So for that reason, I just decide to call again and really set the trap. Also, I'm in, in position so I can kind of control the river. So I call his 200 and then we go to a river with about 800 in the pot and the river is a great card. It's not another spade and it doesn't pair the board. It's a red three and we retain the nuts. Now he pretty quickly bets 300 into 800. And I decide to put in a solid raise. I don't want to overbet Jam here because I think he's, like I said, he's really capable of big folds. Uh, but I do want to get paid by hands like two pair or maybe a set or a smaller flush. Um, hands that this guy is fully capable of folding. I don't know if he'd fold them to me, but he's definitely capable of folding them. So I go to 850. I raise 550 on top and he looks at his hand and he says, I just don't think I can fold this. You know, he sighs. He's like, damn. But he says, I just don't think I can fold this. And he puts the money in and immediately tables king four of spades for the second nuts. I table the ace ten of spades for the stone nutties and take in a big ass pot. Congratulations to me. Now, did I play this hand well? God, no, I didn't. You guys, I flopped the nuts against the second nuts in a bomb pot and I left this guy $600 in a stack. I didn't stack him. Now, let's review my decisions in the hand that led to this egregious misstep. I told you my reasons for not raising the flop and I think they're good. Um, I, I'm actually okay with not raising the flop even though I think raising the flop is also good. I think my reasoning was fine. Not raising the turn, failing to raise the turn is an egregious misstep because now I can't leverage stacks. I, I did an episode a couple weeks ago where I was just talking about how important it is to fast play your hands and really ram and jam with your big hands. And I didn't do it this time. And it's just so bad. I mean, doing that is my normal strategy. But in this hand, I just thought he's so capable of making big folds and not putting in money with all but his best hands that I really didn't want to let him off the hook. But the reality is that kind of reasoning is horseshit. I have a good hand. I need to stick to my strategy because I want to be able to make bluffs with hands like, you know, ace king with the ace of spades or just the naked ace of spades or, you know, hands like that. And then also this guy knows that I'm a creative player. He thinks I'm a creative player and he knows I'm capable of making big bluffs. So when he's telling me he has a big hand, and I also hold a big hand, I need to be ramming and jamming. And the reality is I didn't do that. And I left this guy at the end with $600 in his stack. $600 that could have been my dollars. $600 that should have been going to my family. I mean, in high school, my daughter is going to be rolling around in a 1994 Taurus. And she's going to be like, hey, daddy, why does my car suck? And everybody else has nice cars. And I'm going to be like, well, honey, because daddy didn't raise the turn. You know, I'm going to take my wife out to dinner and we're going to go to Panda Express instead of P.F. Chang. She's going to be like, honey, why are we eating at Panda Express? I'll be like, well, because your husband didn't raise the turn. I mean, Jesus H. Christ, my brain has no grooves in it. It is literally smoother than a baby's bottom. I can't believe that I left this guy 
with $600, dollars that, that should have been mine. Just really, really poorly played. Just another situation where the poker gods smiled upon me and I turned my fucking back on them. It's just, just really, really, really bad. I had a monster session in this session and this is all I can think about because this was one of the biggest pots that I played and I didn't play it right. Any idiot could have gotten stacks in here nuts against the second nuts. And obviously he didn't have to have the second nuts to make this play. You know, he could have been doing it with smaller flushes and sets and some two pairs, et cetera. But the reality is I knew he had a really strong range and I didn't play appropriately against it. And uh, yeah, I deserve to be strapped into a catapult of mammoth proportions and fired into the goddamn sun. Yeah. Yeah. Very disappointed in myself for this one. But we redeem ourselves a little bit in hand two. Stay tuned. All right, hand two. Let me set the stage for this hand. So I had a pretty busy week at work. One of the days I had a super early morning meeting. And so I actually had to stay in a hotel overnight in this little town called Lodi, which is like 45 minutes south of Sacramento. So I work all day. I go in, check into the hotel around five o'clock. And my choices are, yeah, I can sit around and watch shitty movies for a couple hours, or I can go play 510 uncapped, no limit hold'em at Capital Casino. And you guys know what I chose. So I drive up to Capital and I sit down at around 6 p.m. And the game is not great. It's a Tuesday night, and when I sit down, it's six-handed. I mean, we're not even at a full table, and pretty much everybody at the table are regs. I mean, they're all, you know, wearing hoodies and have $5,000 stacks, and, you know, they're all talking about Bitcoin and solvers and shit like that. And this is only my second time playing at this casino, so I don't really know anybody and I like Bitcoin. Uh, I like solvers. I have some pretty uh, strong and and somewhat sharp opinions on them, if you ask me. But I actually decline to get involved in the conversation. I just kind of keep quiet and let them talk about it. And I think part of the reason for that is that if I chose to interject myself in this conversation, it would kind of be my way of saying, hey, you guys, like, I know you guys don't know me, but I belong here. You know, I'm one of you. And to me, that's kind of like ego stroking. You know, it's also my personality. I think I've told you guys I'm pretty social at the table, but certainly in places where I know people, you know, I just don't go out of my way to like inject myself into into conversations where I don't really know people, consider myself kind of a social introvert. So like small talk and shit like that doesn't really like fill my tank by any stretch. So it definitely it's kind of a, a personality thing as well. But the other part is I think interjecting myself into this conversation would be kind of minus EV, right? By talking about these things with these guys, they would have a better sense of who I am and the way that I think than they would if I just kept my mouth shut. And obviously, I don't think everything done at the table needs to be squeaking out EV here and EV there. But you know, at the end of the day, when you're playing a big game with a bunch of other sharp people, I think not giving them information as to the kind of person I am you know, is, is a good thing. So that's just an aside. But basically, like I said, the game's shorthanded. It's not that great. And I sit down with 1500 and my plan, I, I brought 4k to the, to the card room. And my plan was if it was a good game and there were some 
recreational players with deep stacks, I'd buy in deeper. I'd buy in for 1500 and kind of see what happened and then add on if if uh, I thought there were any spots at the table with bigger stacks. But here there weren't. So I kind of like stuck with my 1500 but everybody else was playing like at least 3K deep. Three, four, five, there was one guy with like seven or 8K. I mean, man, it is, it is definitely a big game. And I kind of tread water for a couple hours, just winning a pot here, losing a pot there. Nothing too big happening. You know, it's very, it feels very like a higher level game. Like no, not a lot of limps, a lot of three bets, a lot of tight play, tight, aggressive play, et cetera. But after a little while, a recreational player does come and sit down. You can tell he's a wreck right away. You know, he only buys in for 500 bucks. And, you know, just the way he handles his chips, the way he talks, you know, you can kind of tell like the guy is not a polished poker player. But he sits down with his 500 bucks. He gets stacked once pretty quickly, uh, overvaluing kind of a middle strength hand. And he buys in for another 500. And then this hand happens. This is hand two. So the game is 2-5-10. All blinds are to the left of the dealer. So small blind is 2, middle blind is 5, big blind is 10. And this guy's in the $10 blind, but he doesn't realize it, and he raises to 30. The dealer says, hey, man, uh, you're actually in the $10 blind. And the guy's like, oh, and he takes back his 30 and puts in the 10. Now there's two limps to my right. And maybe they're picking up on the fact that this guy was trying to raise, so they didn't want to raise. And it gets to me on the button, and I have queen, jack of spades. Great hand. And under normal circumstances, if two players limp to me and I have queen, jack of spades, man, I am bumping it up to like 60 bucks. But in this situation, I actually decide to call for a couple of reasons. I decide to limp behind. Number one, the reason that that these guys to my right might have limped because the fish in the $10 blind, he was trying to raise. So he is almost always not going to fold to my raise. And usually when you're attacking limpers, it's like, yeah, I'm in position, I'm uncapped, and they're capped. But when this guy tries to raise, he's uncapped. He can have some some good hands here too, particularly the kinds of hands that dominate me. So he could easily have hands like ace-jack or king-queen or ace-queen, hands like that. And if I raise, he might re-raise. A lot of the times he won't, but sometimes he will, and I don't want to get blown off my hand. And then the other dynamic is that the two players to my right limped, and they might have limped because he was trying to raise. They might have really good hands themselves. Because of all these dynamics, I decide to just flat call the 10 on the button too. Now the $5 blind. He's a, He seems like a really good sharp player, definitely a regular. He's got like you know five or six K in his stack. He now raises to 80. The fish in the $10 blind calls the 80. Both the two limpers call the 80. And now it's to me on the button. And obviously I'm calling. I have position on everybody. I have queen jack of spades. Everything's good here. I'm getting better than four to one. Of course I'm calling. So we go five ways to a flop with 400 bucks in the flop. And it comes king, nine, five, all clubs. So we flop, fuck all. Uh, we do have a gutter to a straight, but you know, there's three clubs out there. We're we're basically done with this hand. I mean, we we just have nothing. The original razor leads off with a check, and the other three players check, and then it gets to me. And I don't particularly think this is a good shot to take to try to bluff and take this pot down. There are a lot of hands that other players could have, particularly the original razor could have that they don't necessarily want to bet into a bunch of other people on this kind of board, but they will check call, you know, hands like King Queen, 
uh, without a club or pocket jacks with a club, pocket queens with a club, maybe even without. Yeah, there's there's plenty of hands that people could have that will call that they don't necessarily want to bet. And then, of course, there's the worry that somebody's slow playing a monster like a flop flush. So I do not take a shot here. The other thing is like when everyone checks you on the button and you bet, like it kind of looks like you're trying to steal the pot. So in those situations, you should actually probably try to steal a little bit less just because it looks obvious. Anyways, I check back and the turn comes in offsuit four. So it's king nine, five of clubs and an offsuit four. The original raiser leads with a check again. And now the fish in the $10 blind who had tried to raise originally, he bets 75. One of the limpers, uh, this older Asian guy, he flat calls the 75 and the other limper folds. And then it gets to me on the button. And now I think this is a really good time for a bluff. You might be thinking, why? I mean, it wasn't a good time on the on the flop, why would it be a good time here? And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I think the biggest reason is we just have a lot more information. So let's think of where everybody's at. There's three players left in the hand. The original raiser, the fish who tried to raise preflop and then called, who's bet 75 here on the turn, and then the old Asian guy who limp called preflop and now is called the 75 here. So the original raiser almost never has a big hand. Why? because he's checked twice on this flop. There's very few hands he can have that would ever want to play this way. If he was slow playing the nut flush, he would have maybe checked it on the flop, but once everybody checked behind, I don't think he'd be checking it again, right? He has a big hand. He'd have to bet for value. If he has a hand like ace-king, I think he would, or king-queen, I think he would bet the turn again after seeing that kind of all things were clear after everyone checked on the flop. And if you had a set of kings, kind of the same logic. There's just not really any big hands he can have here that he would want to check twice because he's just losing all the value of those hands if he did have a big hand. So he's almost always got a marginal hand. Now let's talk about the fish and the $10 blind who has now bet 75. He almost never has a big hand either, right? He didn't bet the flop. And if he had something like the nut flush, I think he would probably bet a little bit bigger on the turn especially maybe not even the nut flush, but if he had any sort of flop flush, you know, he he would definitely be betting bigger on the turn to quote unquote protect his hand. And then if he had a hand like a set or whatever, I'm sure he would have bet the flop with that hand. And certainly again, he would have been betting bigger on the turn. He just bet 75 and a 400, less than a quarter pot. Can he have a slow played monster sometimes and just not be following any sort of logic because he's a fish? Yes, it's possible. But for the most part, this bet is exactly what it looks like. A little probe where he has something okay, but he's really like betting a little bit to kind of quote unquote, see where he's at. Recreational players love to bet to see where they're at. Now let's talk about the third guy, the old Asian guy. He limped for 10 preflop, then limp called when the $5 blind opened to 80. And now he's just flat called the $75 bet from the fish. This guy has had three opportunities, pre-flop, flop, and turn to make an aggressive action. And at no point has he chosen to do that. So he almost always never has a really big hand either. Could it be some really crazy, elaborate slow play? I mean, it could, but what's more likely? What's more likely is he has a very marginal hand. So now it gets to me. And is it credible that I have a big hand? Sure. I could have checked back the flop with like something like a flop flush And now I'm waiting to make my move. 
The other thing is once somebody bets and somebody calls, a raise here is a lot more credible, right? It, it puts a lot more pressure on people as opposed to just betting out yourself. So I see the opportunity and I decide to take advantage of a live hack. And this is a live hack that you can use in your games too, because it's something that I've gotten a lot of mileage out of over the time that I've played live poker. And it's this, you can make nominally big bets that are still smaller percentages of the pot. And here's what I mean. Like when you play online, people's bet sizing doesn't tend to be too bad because there are these fast action buttons that keep you in line, right? There's the automatic bet buttons that are like half pot, two thirds pot, full pot. But live, people's bet sizing tends to be a lot more variant and a lot more imprecise. So what I mean is this, uh, and we'll use this hand as an example. The fish bets 75, there's a guy who calls, and I decide to go for it based on the dynamics that I've seen, and I raise to 300. The original raiser who raised pre to 80 and then checked twice, he folds quickly. The fish looks annoyed, and he's like, and he grumbles, and he throws his hand away. And now we're just left with the old Asian guy who has had three opportunities to aggress and has taken none of them, and he folds pretty quickly. And we take down a $550 pot. Now, the live hack is this. I raise to 300 and 300 is a nominally big bet. Even for this game, very few bets are $300 or more. So it's a big bet for the game. But it's only about half the size of the pot, right? The, the pot was 550 There was four players that put in 80, sorry, five players that put in 80 preflop, so 400 And then the 75 bet and call on the turn make 550 so I only had to bluff $300 to win 550 here. A nominally big bet that only had to work, I mean, you know what, like 35% of the time to show a profit over the long term. And I think the way that I figured this hand out and where the players were, this bluff works at least half the time, probably closer to two thirds of the time. And it only needs to work one third of the time on average to show a profit. So that's a situation that I've taken a lot of advantage of over the years where you can make this nominally big bet, but it's still laying you a really good price on the pot for your bluff. And over the long term, man, it is just a money print. So my advice to you, yeah, if you see these situations, man, to try to take advantage of them in live poker. It is a huge source of hidden profit. Anyways, in this hand, I ripped down a $550 pot that I had no business winning. This is not something that I do very often, right? Make a big bluff with basically a zero equity hand. But I've talked to you guys about the way I try to play poker. I try to play at a high intensity. And and what I mean by a high intensity is to never just give up on a hand. Like this could have easily, I, I think a lot of players or even myself, if I wasn't really dialed in, you know, you just fold this hand, right? There's a bet and a call and you just fold the hand because you have nothing. But because I stayed focused in the hand, I was really paying attention to where every player was at what their actions were, et cetera, I was really focused in, I saw this situation. I saw this opportunity to make a bluff, a very creative bluff, I think, in a spot where I don't think a lot of players would. And I was able to take down $550 that I really had no business making. And that's really cool. If you can do that once a session or or even just once every couple sessions, man, that is boost for your win rate. And, uh, you know, I, I totally screwed up the first hand and, and left 600 bucks on the table. This was a cool way to kind of make that money back. So that's hand two. Uh, allow myself to congratulate myself. I'm proud of this one. 
Obama putting a medal on himself dot meme with my face photoshopped on the meme. Sammy putting a medal on himself dot meme. Uh, shout out to me. Okay, so that's hand two. But you know, guys, I, I didn't do an episode last week, so I am going to throw out a bonus hand, and this hand is going to be a bomb pot. Stay tuned for it. All right, throw me a freaking bonus hand here. This is hand three. It's going to be a shorter hand than the other hands, but it is another bomb pot. We got two bomb pots on this episode uh, from the same session at Capitol Casino in Sacramento, the 510 uncapped game. This has been a pretty uneven session for me. I haven't really run particularly well. I've been kind of card dead. At this point, it's about 940 at night, and I'm about even. And I just decide, man, I got an early morning meeting tomorrow. I still have a 45-minute drive back to the hotel. But Capital does something. They they have a separate bomb pot button for bomb pots. Uh, most casinos don't do this, but some do, where when it's bomb pot time, and that's usually every half hour at every dealer change, there's a separate button that they use so that it goes in order. It's a little more fair. And I have the bomb pot button. So it's behind my stack. And when it's bomb pot time, then I put it out and I get the button. So I decide, you know what? It's 940, but I'm going to wait the extra 20 minutes until 10 o'clock because then I get to play a bomb pot on the button. Obviously, having position in a bomb pot is huge, right? It's a big, giant pot. And having position in a, in a situation like that is, is definitely plus EV. So I just decide to wait it out the 20 more minutes and play this bomb pot. I tread water until 10 o'clock and then the bomb pot comes up. So we're on the button. Everybody puts in 25. We are eight handed at this point. So 200 bucks in the, in the pot and the flop comes queen, jack five, actually the same flop as the first bomb pot. Only this one's rainbow. So queen, jack five rainbow and all seven players check to me on the button and I peel my hand and it's pretty good. We have queen three. We make top pair on queen jack five. So certainly I'm going to bet here for value. Usually if somebody else had a queen, they would have bet out. But the other thing is I want to charge all the straight draws, right? There's a ton of open enders and a ton of gutters that wrap around the queen jack. So certainly I'm going to bet here. I'm going to put in a solid bet. I bet 100 into 200 and two players check call, including the older Asian guy who I'd bluffed out of the first hand. And I actually think at this point, it's important to tell you guys that I'd shown the bluff on the first hand. I forgot to mention that, uh, but I'd been pretty card dead and, and it looked like I was a pretty tight player, uh, I'm sure, to them. So I'd actually shown the bluff and uh, both the fish and the old Asian guy who I bluffed out were, were, were not super pleased about it. Like the fish was like, oh yeah, that's how it's going to be. It's that kind of game. Like this is a bluffing game. All right, all right. I see you. I see you, dog. So anyways... The old Asian guy who I bluffed out, not the fish, but the old Asian guy, he's in this pot too, and he check calls. So I get two check callers on queen, jack, five with my queen, three in this bomb pot. And the turn comes a very beautiful card. It comes an offsuit three. So true rainbow board, queen, jack, five, three. We have queen, three. So we turn top and bottom pair and both players check to me now. Now there's about 500 bucks in the pot. And certainly I want to bet for value. I'm almost always good here. And I want to make sure that other hands can continue. So one pair hands, I think no matter how big I size, unless I go really small, a lot of the gutters will fold out. But, you know, I have a great hand. I want to keep betting. So I bet 250 into 500. I, I kind of take a, a medium size sizing here. 
One of the players folds, and then the old Asian guy who I'd bluffed out of hand two, he calls again. So this is a pretty nice big pot. We have a thousand bucks in the pot now, and the river comes a six. So it's queen, jack, five, three, six. He checks again, and certainly I'm going for value here on the river. I think he definitely has a lot of like open enders, maybe like 10, nine or king, 10 that he's going to fold. Sometimes he's got a queen that I can get value from. I probably don't think I get value from a ton of jacks, but I got to try. So I actually don't know if it's right to go polarized here or not, uh, but I decide not to. I kind of try to go medium again so I can get called by a wide array of hands just because I think this guy is, he's pretty weak, right? Again, he's had multiple opportunities to aggress in the hand and he's just taken the passive route each time. So almost always never he has a big hand here. So I decide to go for a medium size and I bet 450 into a thousand. And he thinks for maybe a second or two and he calls quickly. And then he just flips over his hand. He called me. So I'm the one that needs to show my hand, but he calls the 450 and immediately flips over his hand. Jack nine offsuit. Second pair with no kicker. Jack nine offsuit on queen, jack, five, three, six. And he turns it over just like, bam, I gotcha. I turn over my two pair and take the hand. And I don't tell you this hand because I played it especially well. You know, I flopped top pair and then turned two pair and bet it the whole way and got called. Great. But it was the hidden value from the hand before. I, I think there's no way this guy doesn't call me unless I'd shown a bluff in a big pot like I did the hand before. So not only did I win the 550 from the pot in the hand before, but I took almost a grand off this guy because he thought I was bullshit. You know, he flips over his hand just like, gotcha, bitch. But he didn't get me. All he got was this smoke and he lost a bunch of chips and I immediately rack up because that's my last hand. I was just waiting for this bomb pot. I just rack up all this dude's chips and dip out. And what was a pretty uneven session turned out to be like a thousand dollar win. And that's super cool. So that is it for the hands, my friends. Uh, this has been a longer episode. I wanted to, to make it up a little to you guys for, for not putting out one last week. Again, I always ask this, but I, I'd really appreciate it if you guys scroll down on your little uh, podcast app, gave me some stars. I think I only have like 30 something star ratings. And, you know, that's just a small fraction of the people that listen to this podcast. And and I'd love it if you guys took the time, uh, if you haven't already, to, to just drop me a star review. I think we have like, I don't know, five or six written reviews, which which isn't a ton. And I know those take a little time to do, but man, if you have any time and the wherewithal to do so, I would appreciate that as well. I've read every one that, that has been left, and I really appreciate the things you guys have said in those reviews. Like It, it means a lot, and I appreciate it. We are going to wrap this episode up here you guys thank you for listening until next week my friends play good and run pure